0: Well, I invite you to join me in Psalm 106 this evening. Psalm 106. And as you get there, we, I will read it. It's a long psalm, 48 verses. Uh, and it's paired with Psalm 105, as we were in last week. In fact, what you'll notice as I am reading through this is that whereas Psalm 105, and I think I mentioned this last week, but as, whereas Psalm 105 proclaims God's faithfulness, And the covenants that he has given to Israel and his faithfulness to them throughout the ages, Psalm 106 then, opens our eyes to Israel's unfaithfulness. So these two go together as we come to the end of Book 4 of the Psalms. God's faithfulness proclaimed in Psalm 105 and a reminder of the unfaithfulness of Israel in Psalm 106 as we'll see this evening and therefore along with that, God's great mercy. Follow along as I read Psalm 106. Praise the Lord. Oh, give thanks to the Lord, for he is good, for his mercy endures forever. Who can utter the mighty acts of the Lord? Who can declare all his praise? Blessed are those who keep justice and who does and he who does righteousness at all times. Remember me, O Lord, with the favor that you have toward your people. O visit me with your salvation, that I may see the benefit of your chosen ones, that I may rejoice in the gladness of your nation, that I may glory with your inheritance. We have sinned with our fathers. We have committed iniquity. We have done wickedly. Our fathers in Egypt did not understand your wonders. They did not remember the multitude of your mercies but rebelled by the sea, the Red Sea. Nevertheless, he saved them for his name's sake, that he might make his mighty power known. He rebuked the Red Sea also, and it dried up. So he led them through the depths as through the wilderness. He saved them from the hand of him who hated them and redeemed them from the hand of the enemy. The waters covered their enemies. There was not one of them left. Then they believed his words, they sang his praise. They soon forgot his works. They did not wait for his counsel, but lusted exceedingly in the wilderness and tested God in the desert. And he gave them their request, but sent leanness into their soul. When they envied Moses in the camp and Aaron, the saint of the Lord, the earth opened up and swallowed Dathan and covered the factions of Abiram. A fire was kindled in their company. The flame burned up the wicked. They made a calf in Horeb and worshipped the molded image. Thus they changed their glory into the image of an ox that eats grass. They forgot God, their Savior, who had done great things in Egypt, wondrous works in the land of Ham, awesome things by the Red Sea. Therefore he said that he would destroy them. Had not Moses, his chosen one, stood before him in the breach to turn away his wrath, lest he destroy them? Then they despised the pleasant land. They did not believe his word, but complained in their tents, and did not heed the voice of the Lord? Therefore he raised up his hand and an oath against them, to overthrow them in the wilderness, to overthrow their descendants among the nations, and to scatter them in the lands. They joined themselves also to Baal of Peor, and ate sacrifices made to the dead. Thus they provoked him to anger with their deeds, and a plague broke out among them. Then Phinehas stood up and intervened, and the plague was stopped. And that was accounted to him for righteousness to all generations forevermore. They angered him also at the waters of strife. So that it went till, so that it went ill with Moses on account of them, because they rebelled against his spirit. So that they spoke, he spoke rashly with his lips. They did not destroy the peoples concerning whom the Lord had commanded them, but they mingled with the Gentiles and learned their works. They served their idols, which became a snare to them. They even sacrificed their sons and their daughters to demons and shed innocent blood, the blood of their sons and daughters, whom they sacrificed to the idols of Canaan. And the land was polluted with blood. Thus they were defiled by their own works, and played the harlot by their own deeds. Therefore the wrath of the Lord was kindled against his people, so that he abhorred his own inheritance. And he gave them into the hand of the Gentiles, and those who hated them ruled over them their enemies also oppressed them and they were brought into subjection under their hand. Many times he delivered them, but they rebelled in their counsel and were brought low for their iniquity. Nevertheless, he regarded their affliction when he heard their cry. And for their sake, he remembered his covenant and relented according to the multitude of his mercies. He also made them to be pitied by all those who carried them away captive. Save us, O Lord our God, and gather us from among the Gentiles to give thanks to your holy name, to triumph in your praise. Blessed be the Lord God of Israel from everlasting to everlasting. And let all the people say, Amen. Praise the Lord. Psalm 106 begins the same way that it ends. Praise the Lord. The idea thereof to lift high His name, to to give unto Him the glory, the praise, the worship that is due. As we turn our attention to Psalm 106, the occasion of the writing of this psalm is most likely the repentance of post-exilic Jews who've returned to Jerusalem, they returned from exile. And as they come back into the land, as they look at the work around them, their hearts are filled with thanks to God, and yet they are well aware of what has gotten them to that place. They are well aware of the mercy of God, of which they are currently rejoicing in as they return from exile, and yet they are well aware of the sin that has gotten them there. So in this psalm, They rehearse that history, a shameful history it is, and yet it is a psalm, a testimony, a history that causes them to praise God for his mercy. Praise the Lord. Give thanks to the Lord. Why? For he is good. For he is good. That is the testimony of these post-exilic Jews returning from exile after all of this history that is recounted in this psalm. They recount God is good. That is still our testimony all these years later, is it not? God is still good. He is good for his mercy endures That is really the very testimony of this psalm, the very theme of this psalm, that God's mercy endures forever. In fact, throughout this psalm, the ups and the downs, really a lot more downs than really any ups, but a lot of downs, some deep downs. And yet all throughout this, the mercy of God endures who can utter the mighty acts of the Lord? Who can declare all his praise? They cannot be numbered. Blessed are those who keep justice and who does righteousness at all times. Remember me, O Lord, with the favor you have toward your people. O visit me with your salvation, that I may see the benefits of your chosen ones, that I may rejoice in the gladness of your nation, that I may glory with your inheritance. These first five verses are really the introduction to the psalm. And then you have the body of the psalm, through verse 46, and then finally in verses 47 and 48, a conclusion. Two verses of conclusion there. And we're going to walk through this psalm very quickly. It is a very long psalm. And I'm not going to take the time to, to dive deeply here. We're just going to move our way through this, kind of touching on things. But the first thing you notice here in verse 6 is the word we. We have sinned with our fathers. We have committed iniquity. We have done wickedly. You see, as the psalmist recounts Israel's history and all of their failings, as he recounts the faithfulness of God and his mercy, the psalmist was not there for any of those things. And yet he recognizes the failure of his people. He recognizes failure even in himself. Really, these first, this first verse here in verse 6, the first verse of really the body of the psalm, takes the psalm from a purely historical account and it makes it personal. Here, the psalmist recognizes him, his sin that as we, as we launch off into this psalm, there is none innocent here. It's a confession that right here at the beginning, I, I'm not better than them. I've not gotten beyond a need for God's mercy. I have sinned. I am a sinner. I am in need of God's mercy. So brothers and sisters, even as we start launching off into this psalm, and I don't think that this would be the temptation of anyone here, but do not become proud because you're not Israel. This is not your history. Rather allow the sad reality of Psalm 106 to turn your eyes inward to your own heart, your own soul, your own sins, and to cry out to the God of mercy that we see here in Psalm 106. We have sinned with our fathers. We have committed iniquity. We have done wickedly. Verse 7 then he jumps back in history. And really, as you work your way through this psalm, it starts in in, in Egypt, follows through the exodus into the land, the conquest, into the time of the judges, and then even into the Babylonian exile. It starts here, coming out of Egypt on the edge of the Red Sea. Our fathers in Egypt did not understand your wonders. They did not remember the multitude of your mercies, but rebelled by the sea, the Red Sea. I mean, It kind of starts with a shocking statement there. Our fathers in Egypt did not understand your wonders. They did not remember the multitude of your mercies, but rebelled by the sea, the Red Sea. They did not remember the multitude of your mercies. By the time they left Egypt, till they got to the Red Sea, they had already forgotten what God did in Egypt. They haven't even crossed the sea yet. They've just gotten to the western edge of the sea. And already they have forgotten God's mercies. And as they're standing there by the sea, the edge of the sea, they panic and they fear. As they're standing between the sea and they see Pharaoh's army coming, the language used here in verse seven is very strong. They rebelled by the sea. I think this shows us that this was more than justifiable fear; that it was clear evidence of an, of unbelieving hearts. Unbelieving hearts that that go on all throughout the wilderness to to come up time and time again. But the first evidence of it is here on the edge of the Red Sea. They rebel. They panic. They fear. And yet, the Lord saved them for his name's sake. That 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 he might make his mighty power known. His purpose was his glory he saved them because of his mercy, not because of their merit. For the purposes of his glory. He rebuked the sea, it dried up, they passed through the Red Sea. We know the story, the waters covered their enemies, there was none left. Verse 12, they believed his words. Sadly, this is the only instance in this psalm where the people respond to God by believing his words as God responds to their sin, as God all throughout the psalm brings judgment, this is the only place where they respond in faith. They sang his praises. But, verse 13, they soon forgot his works. They did not wait for his counsel, but lusted exceedingly in the wilderness and tested God in the desert. And he gave them their request, but sent leanness into their soul. Once again they forget, they complain, they want to go back to Egypt where, although they were slaves, at least they had good food. The rebellion goes on, verses 16, 17, and 18, coming from Numbers 16, verses 1 to 35, known as Korah's Rebellion where Korah and Dathan and Abiram lead a rebellion against Moses and Abraham, saying, you're, you're taking too much on. This is not your responsibility. Let, let us take control. Give us power. They're envious. They're rebellious, and the earth swallowed them. A fire was kindled in their company. A flame burned up. The wicked 250 men consumed by fire, as Numbers tells us. They don't trust the leaders that God has given them. And then, as you come to verses 19 to 23, the golden calf incident of Exodus 32, verses 1 to 14. They made a calf in Horeb and worshipped the molded image. They changed their glory into the image of an ox that eats grass. They forgot God, their Savior. What a sad line that is. They forgot God, their Savior. Brothers and sisters, I don't know if you've recognized, well, we're only, we're not even to the promised land yet. We're, we're just on the other side of the Red Sea, in the middle of the wilderness, and already three times it has been brought up that they forgot God. forgot God and I think if we're honest with ourselves we're not much different are we how often do we forget God how often do we go from this place even after a Sunday or a Wednesday even if the Lord has really worked in our hearts and we go and come Monday morning just 15 hours later we forgot God God, verses 21 and 22 tell us, who had done great things in Egypt, wondrous works in the land of hand, awesome things by the Red Sea. God had done all these great things and yet they forgot God. Verse 23, you have Moses stepping in as intercessor between God and the people, as recounted in Exodus 32, verses 11 to 14, where, where God is so fed up with his people, Moses steps in. He pleads with God on behalf of the people based on his faithfulness and the promises of the Abrahamic covenant. But it doesn't end there in verse 23. That's not the end of their rebellion. Rather, he leads them through the wilderness and they get to the land and they despise the land. They did not believe his word. It's not just that they didn't believe the two spies Joshua and Caleb they didn't believe God that he would give them the land they complained in their tents they did not heed the voice of the Lord therefore he raised his hand in an oath against them once again they do not believe God the very God that has led them out as slaves led them out of Egypt one of the greatest nations on earth at time, one of the strongest armies, and they walk out freely, rich. He leads them to the edge of the Red Sea, and though they doubt, He parts it and leads them across. He provides quail and manna for them and water for them in the wilderness. He leads them to the edge of the land that He has promised that He will give them. And they don't believe that God can defeat the armies that are there. They forgot God. Verse 28, they joined themselves to Baal of Peor. And ate sacrifices made to the dead. Thus they provoked him in anger with their deeds. And a plague broke out among them. This is a story in Numbers 25, verses 1 to 15. Of Balak, under the counsel of Balaam, leads Israel astray by tempting them with immorality and idolatry. You'd think the temptation of idolatry would be nothing to a people whose God has done so much for them. And yet they are led astray and they join themselves to Baal. And if not for Phinehas, a devout and zealous priest who stands up and takes action against the unrighteousness. They would have been wiped out. They angered him also at the waters of strife. Numbers 20 verses 1 to 13 is where this is recorded as Moses strikes the rock out of anger over Israel's continued rebellion. I mean Moses is at wit and he can't take it anymore. This people is a rebellious people. Again, that's not the end. In fact, they go into the land and God gives them the land and yet they did not destroy the peoples. They mingled with the Gentiles and learned their works. We saw that as we worked through Joshua several years ago. In that big section verses I think it is like chapter 11 through, through 22 or something like that. In the middle of Joshua. As they take the land, and it's recorded, this tribe took this land, and this tribe was given this land. And this was their borders, and, and even throughout there, they don't drive out the people in the land, as God has said. Really in this section, verses 34 through 43, it takes us through the general sins of Israel from Joshua 3, as they are taking the land, all the way through the exile. Starting by not driving the people out of the land. And really, this is where it gets really, I mean, it's been shocking throughout here. But verses 36, 37, and 38 it's just they served their idols, which became a snare to them. They even sacrificed their sons and their daughters to demons and shed innocent blood, the blood of their sons and daughters, whom they sacrificed to the idols of Canaan, and the land was polluted with blood. I mean, how? How can they fall that far? How can they get to that point? How can a people who struggle so much to have faith in God have so much faith in these false gods that they sacrifice their own children? And yet, once again, our eyes are drawn inward. That same question could be asked of our own lives and hearts. How? How do we run back to those same sins time and time again? How selfish are we? How blinded are we by lust, by idolatry? That's really the question of this whole psalm. How? How? How can we keep doing this time and time again? How wicked are we? And yet the greater question of this psalm is how merciful is God? The wrath of God was kindled against his people. He abhorred. His own inheritance and, and rightfully so. I don't think there's anyone that you read the first 39 verses of Psalm 106, you come to verse 40 and you think, Man, that's not fair, God. Right? We, we all agree this is a wicked people. God is right in his judgment of them. So he gave them into the hand of the Gentiles, the, the taking off into the Assyrian, the Babylonian exile. And you think that that would be the end of it. And then Israel came to an end and they were never heard from again. They faded away into history. Verse 44, Nevertheless, he regarded their affliction when he heard their cry. How? What great mercy of God! What patience and love. And for their sake, he remembered his covenant. Despite their great unfaithfulness, God remains faithful. He relented according to the multitude of his mercies. He made them to be pitied by all those who carried them away captive. And now these are those who have come back from that captivity. Save us, O Lord our God. Gather us from among the Gentiles to give thanks to your holy name to triumph in your praise. Blessed be the Lord God of Israel from everlasting to everlasting. And let all the people say, Amen. And I imagine that that was probably one of the loudest amens ever recorded in history. Praise the Lord. That is not how you expect this psalm to end. Especially the further you get into it. This psalm is going to end in destruction. Yet it ends with a call to praise the Lord because he is a God of mercy and grace. And, brothers and sisters, that is great news to you and me. Because I know my heart. And I am utterly wicked. I am ridiculously unfaithful. And yet I, like these Israelites, join my voice to their testimony praise the Lord. Praise the Lord for his mercy endures forever. Psalm 106 is a psalm that is filled with terrible stories of unfaithfulness, the wretchedness and sinfulness of man. And yet at the end of this psalm, the question that it leads us to ask is not, we're not left to contemplate how wicked we are, but how merciful is God? How? I hope that's an encouragement to your heart this evening. Maybe you find yourself this evening, under a heavy burden of guilt and sin, brothers and sisters, see the mercy of God and repent and be encouraged and emboldened and strengthened and empowered to go forth in the grace and the mercy of God. But notice that in this psalm, The sin of the people, although the mercy of God is highlighted, the sin of the people is not overlooked. They are judged for their sin all throughout there. So don't let Psalm 106, don't let the mercy of God at the end of of the psalm blind you to the weight of sin in the middle of that psalm. Just because God is merciful does not mean that your sin is not a big deal. It is a big deal. Don't take it lightly. Confess it to the Lord. Confess it to one another. And then sing with the psalmist, praise the Lord for his mercy endures forever. With that, we're going to transition and take some prayer requests.